Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. You've lived in your house a while when a problem develops with a neighbor. What do you do when you have a neighbor who's loud, perhaps disruptive, or a neighbor that harasses you? What if you believe that he or she is dangerous or even threatening? When should you call the police? What can the city do? Or do you just put cameras around? Maybe seek a restraining order. You know, in part one of this broadcast, which we had a few weeks ago, we focused more on nuisance. And with nuisance issues, there may be multiple sides to an issue. How do you find a peaceful resolution? How do you balance the interests of the two sides? This time, we're going to take a look at a few things that we didn't get to, such as we look at issues like the really, really bad neighbor and what can you do. Perhaps you've been living in the neighborhood a while and one of your neighbors began calling the police just because your kid's walked up the street on the way to the park. We may look at things such as what happens in a homeowner's association. Problems like these are more common than you think. Whether you have a harassing neighbor or one who hides behind curtains and calls for help when nothing is needed, give us a call. We have experts knowledgeable in the field. We would like nothing more than to to hear your real-world experiences and lend some help where we can. There's much to discuss. Our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. 8255. Bear in mind that our attorney guest can't provide you precise legal advice. They won't have all the facts relating to your case, but we're happy to pass along legal principles to assist in your decision making. And their legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their employers or their clients, but folks, they're here to help. And tonight we're discussing neighborhood issues, problem neighbor issues. You can call in with any question relating to the topic. You don't need to jump in to the exact point in our conversation. And after all, we want you, our most important guests, to join in the conversation. Returning to join us tonight, Lance Bayer is a municipal law attorney in in private practice with an emphasis on code enforcement and personnel matters. Mr. Bayer has provided legal services on a contract basis and as an employee to numerous city attorney's offices and public agencies throughout California, He's served as director of the, of the Office of Citizen Complaints for the San Francisco Police Commission. I'm sorry, of the Police Commission for the City and County of San Francisco. For 15 years, he served as a deputy district attorney in Santa Clara County. Mr. Bayer has taught criminal law at San Jose State University and has taught at the police academies in Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. He's the author of a monthly training publication called The Reliable Informer. Mr. Bayer received his law degree from the University of Southern California. I won't hold that against you. 
And with offices in Oakland, Nabil Ahmed, let's try this again. And with offices in Oakland, Nabil Ahmed represents defendants accused of crimes in Alameda County and Contra Costa County, felony and misdemeanor defense from murders to DUIs, as well as assisting clients in obtaining and resisting restraining orders. And you may remember from recent weeks, Emily Andrews. Emily has been practicing in Redwood City since 2008, focusing on areas of family law, criminal defense, and conservatorship defense. Ms. Andrews has developed a significant presence in both civil and domestic violence restraining orders. A skilled and effective advocate, Emily Andrews is one of the nicest attorneys you hope you will never need. And of course, our most important guest is is you listening, so please to join us in our conversation. Call us toll-free at 866-798-8255, 866-798-8255. And without further ado, let me welcome you, Emily, Lance, Nabil. Welcome to Your Legal Rights. Good evening. Thank you, Jeff. Good evening. So I guess question number one for me is how do I know when can I try to resolve this myself? Give me some guidelines when I know I need to get a lawyer or call the police. Well, one of the things that um, I think everybody wants to encourage is people to resolve their disputes peacefully between each other. And that means that in a lot of uh, situations, um, a neighbor will contact another neighbor and say that I appreciate if you would keep the noise down, if you would do something about your barking dog, um, if you would um, take care of the um, cars that are um, parked improperly. All of these issues where you can have a conversation with somebody who's rational and who wants to um, uh, comply with the needs of the neighborhood. But when you get into a situation where you are in a conflict with somebody who does not seem to want to resolve the issue uh, between the two, then you start looking at what are my options? What what can I do um, that's the next level beyond simply um, trying to resolve it individually? And we talk about different levels of um, intervention, and one of them is the use of a mediation service such as PCRC on the peninsula um, and trying to um, get some uh, resolution through some type of uh, mediation or a third party who can assist. But ultimately, we get calls in our public agencies because people simply can't resolve this between themselves. Emily, you've dealt with a lot of these. Have you got experience with mediation? I I do. And the realm where I've uh, experienced using mediators is in HOA cases. So homeowners associations, um, Lance makes a good point that the question is, who do we involve and engage in these these disputes? When you have two neighbors, for example, who's the third party that you should call? The police, a lawyer, a mediator? <clears throat> and in some cases, it's often the homeowners association and condo cases that 
the parties feel they need to engage um, because they feel like that's a party that has an interest in resolving it. But uh, it's important to remember that the the more uh, the longer these things go on and the more um, formal they become in a legal sense, it has a bearing on house values, right? If you if you sell your house and you have a, an open lawsuit, you have to disclose that. You have to disclose that you've had litigation with your neighbor. So the more you can do to keep it from getting to a point of getting into a courtroom, I think the better for everybody involved. There are a couple of things going on. And one of them is people aren't necessarily as nice as they used to be. <laughs> There's a change in the level of civility in our culture where people are intent on being able to do what they want. We used to talk about how your rights um, end where another's rights begin so that you have the ability to do whatever you want until you get into an area where you are interfering with someone else's rights. Um, Keeping that in mind, people are less likely to be um, civil about those kinds of rules. Um, and the other part of it is that um, we have a lot of different kinds of offensive conduct that maybe we didn't see a lot of in the past. So I'm thinking about a case that we handled in one of the cities where the complaint was about um, a neighbor who was raising dangerous dogs and breeding them and uh, raising them at home. Um, and the dogs were not well treated. And you start to say to yourself, what kind of person would raise dangerous animals in a suburban neighborhood where the barking and the um, other conduct is going to affect all of the neighbors that surround him. But the person didn't seem to care about the effect that he had on other people. And speaking of effect on other people, at some point when you have a real problematic neighbor, certainly when you have litigation pending between neighbors, at some point, don't you have to say something? If you're selling your house, for example, don't you have to disclose that? Yeah, you do. And, you know, I, I think the, the real issue that, that comes up in terms of the restraining orders is going to be these property line disputes where, in fact, you're, you're going to wind up in the restraining order court because you believe that your neighbor has encroached uh, several feet upon your land and has therefore decreased your property value and you begin surveying your land and uh, lo and behold, you're going to need to have a quiet title action uh, to determine the exact uh, um, boundaries uh, uh, of where your property begins and ends. And um, those types of disputes uh, certainly would have to be um, brought forth to the attention of any potential buyers or sellers um, interested in your home uh, as that is a major issue. Uh, that certainly affects the legal rights of the, the purchaser and the seller um, three feet uh, uh, in either direction uh, on a property line um, can 
and the Bay Area result in several hundred thousand, um, if not, depending on where you are, millions of dollars uh, worth of a, a dispute and litigation there with respect to the, the quiet title action. Let me turn it over to Sonny from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question might be slightly off topic, but uh, please let me know if you can answer or not. Um, so my neighbor who's, I think, really destitute uh, and has some substance abuse uh, issues, um, lives in a small unit, uh, I think three generations in a small two-bedroom, like seven people, and is constantly working on you know, his car and other mechanical stuff. Um, he happened to, one of his, on his projects, he happened to cause a fire that uh, caused his unit and my unit to be red tagged. And I lost some personal property, furniture, etc. The same company is, you know, they're saying they didn't cause it, so they're not responsible. I don't have renter's insurance. So I'm wondering what I can do at this stage. You've really brought up a few different issues. Uh, one has to do with the nuisance and what action you might have against your neighbor. What kind of an environment did you live in? Was it an apartment or a homeowners association with people living close together? It's a uh, um, it's government-owned kind of um, uh, like townhouse kind of you know you know single single story and it's. In a row. And you were renting one of the townhouses? Yes. Did this person, was this person the landlord or another renter? Mm, renter. So that seems to be kind of in a complicated area. Um, Emily, does this look familiar to you? Yeah, so your recourse would be for to the owners, uh, I think, of the other unit um does the owner own both units is the same owner own both townhouses yes okay and have you reached out to that person yeah they've they've just washed their hands off and they said you know they didn't cause it and so any personal property damage is all on me or i can go after the other unit renter well that may or may not be true if you have covenants in your lease that say such things as you have to protect the people around you, it's not said in these lang- in this language, but if you have guarantees that you guarantee you will be pre- you know uh, preserving the peace of others and their peaceful use of the unit, um, if they have limits of how many people can live in your unit, you have a right presumably to expect that they're enforcing this with the others as well. And that's where you circle back to the landlord. And and I want to point out that if you don't get satisfaction through conversation with the landlord, sometimes it's important to really get a sense of what your legal rights are. A lot of people who are interested in um, learning about their legal rights look at different publications One of them that is very common to be used is called Neighbor Law. It's a book that's published by NOLO Press, and uh, it's a go-to manual for 
how to deal with certain kinds of neighbor disputes. But the other thing to keep in mind is that at some point, you may want to talk to a lawyer. And if you don't have a lawyer in mind or you don't have um, the kind of money that you could necessarily uh, retain a lawyer on your own, one thing to be aware of is the local bar associations all have referral services. And using those referral services, you can arrange to have a consultation. Um, and that consultation typically does not cost a lot. Um, it's a minimum fee and uh, um, it's a short opportunity to explain to a lawyer who specializes in this area um, about your issues. And that lawyer will be able to tell you at least preliminarily what your rights are. Sonny, did this occur in San Francisco? Yes. I strongly suggest you might give a call to the Lawyer Referral and Information Service of the Bar Association of San Francisco. Their phone number, which you will hear us give out periodically in this program, but their phone number is 415-989-1616. We'll be repeating that again at the half hour and again at the top of the hour. And they will give you a consultation with a lawyer in this area for in the neighborhood of $35 or so for a half-hour consultation. And you'll definitely want to bring your lease and any paperwork you have so that they can assess they can assess it for you. Very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on your legal rights. Sure. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. And let me turn it over to Maria from San Rafael. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi. Thank you. Um, so I live in uh, San Rafael, and we have lived in our residence for over a decade. Um, we have currently a restraining order. Um, that is set to expire after five years this summer against one of our neighbor's daughters. Um, she is not the owner, um, and the issue is her mental health issues. We have had, um, the neighborhood has had a lot of issues with this person, and the residences that um, are directly next to hers, um, two people have decided to move and sell their homes. Um, I am the neighbor that actually was able to provide evidence to get the restraining order against this neighbor. Um, the problem is is we were told that we can only have the restraining order um, through five years, and I wanted to find out if you had any um, information about that. Uh, the harassment still continue, continued throughout the, restra the restraining order in place. It just wasn't as severe as it had been. So that begs the question, and I will turn it over to my guest. Can a TRO, that's a civil harassment TRO, that's been in effect for close to five years, what does someone like Maria need to show in order to renew that restraining order, or can it be renewed? Yes, it can be renewed. It has to be requested to be renewed within, uh, we've, before 90 days before the expiration date of the restraining order, within 90 days of the expiration date, forgive me. So, so I'm not going to get everything exactly right this evening, but uh, um, within 90 days, yes, it does have to be done uh, prior to the termination of the restraining order. And in this particular case, um, it sounds like there are 
continuing facts to support the reissuance of the restraining order. It's not, uh, it, it, it moved from a temporary restraining order to sounds like a permanent order, order after hearing after the court had considered uh, um, the full facts and the evidence uh, before it. And so uh, the demonstration of um, of a f- future harm uh, is, again, uh, going to be necessary here. And I believe the caller has provided facts sufficient for that in that she is a, an adjacent direct neighbor to the uh, young lady with the mental health issues. And there does appear to be continuing conduct that is sufficient to warrant the restraining order to remain in effect. And uh, that appears to be what is being alleged is that uh, any type of medical help or treatment uh, that this young lady is receiving isn't um, uh, amounting to a change or a, um, uh, a, a obviation of her behavior that um, that is preventing that is not necessitating uh, this caller from seeking the the extension of the restraining order. Without getting too far into the legalese, I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But what does somebody have to show when they seek to get a restraining order renewed? Again, I'm going to think, you know, forgive me. Uh, I had to deal with this um, within the last couple of years a few times, but uh, it, you, you you may not necessarily have to show um, uh, any further acts committed within the period within the restraining order was in effect, but you will have to show that there is going to be a likelihood of future harm still. So uh, the, the, the restraining order doesn't, just stay in effect just because some conduct occurred uh, uh, some period ago. It's, it, it remains in effect because of a justified need uh, for protection from that for that particular individual. That justified need is going to be based upon a demonstration of the possibility of future harm uh, uh, from the offending party. So, um, and again, that's going to in, in, in this context going to be based off of the harassment statutes that type of conduct. Yeah, could I, I for could I mention, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, I, um, I have sat through many um, restraining order hearings, listening to other um, people who are going through different situations, and um, you really have to provide without um, a reasonable, da- reasonable doubt the proof that the harassment is happening. It can't be a he said or she said. Um, so I do highly recommend anybody out there having issues cameras on their house um being able to provide evidence to the court is everything you know we don't all have to install security systems i have had clients with restraining orders that have four or five outward pointing cameras that record sound uh well before those were commonplace we don't all have to go that far but you do bring up a really good point maria and that is Whatever evidence you think you will have, saying you have it in court, saying, yeah, well, I could go home and get it, or I've got these other witnesses that are not here right now, is often fatal to proving your case. When you walk into the courtroom for your hearing, you should have every piece of evidence that you're going to rely on, and that's true in any hearing. Don't count on the ability to make reference to it and that somehow they'll say, bring it on Tuesday. If you're there for your hearing, have it ready. 
it's really important to keep in mind that you may have the best case for a restraining order, or you may have the best case of public nuisance, but you have to convince the person who makes the decisions, whether that's a judge or whether it's a hearing officer or whether it's a commissioner, and that person has to be convinced based on what we would call admissible evidence. In other words, what evidence that particular body or court is going to be willing to listen to and accept. Um, so it's really important that you come to the hearing and you're prepared. You understand what is allowed to be um viewed or introduced as evidence um, and what is not, what what the judge or hearing officer doesn't want to hear. So there's a lot of personal animosity between parties sometimes, but that's not helpful in making that decision. And one thing to remember is that when you walk into a courtroom, and as attorneys, we all have to remind ourselves of this periodically. When you walk into a courtroom, you have all of the facts in your head and you take it for granted that that's the beginning point because everybody else does too. Often not the case. You're appearing in front of a judge who doesn't live on your block, doesn't know your neighbor, doesn't know the point you're starting from. You need to be prepared to start from point zero and bring that judge up to speed in that little amount of time you have. So it's really helpful to be organized and to sum up at the beginning what the problem is and really put the judge in the position where they're understanding why you're talking about the things you're talking about. Thank you so much. Um, I, have a, I don't know if you have time to just let me know. Um, for civil litigation, um, is there any such thing as going through your homeowner's policy um, and going against the neighbor's homeowner's pal- policy for damages? Is, is there any protection that we would have through our homeowner's policy for being harassed, um, you know, to the extent that we are? Um. All right. Before I, before anybody answers your second question, I'd like to give everybody the the answer to your first question. It's uh, Code of Civil Procedure Section five twenty seven point six J one, the right to renew uh, the restraining order. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you you don't need to show any further harm that occurred during the the period of the restraining order, um, but you do have to request the renewal. Uh, any time within three months before the order expires. Uh, another thing that I wanted to clear up with respect to your first question uh, is you were bringing up burdens of proof. I believe you had uh, indicated that uh, you didn't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt when uh, presenting your case to the judge. And um, that's a, it's, a, it's great that you brought that up uh, because that's not the burden uh, in the standard in, in that particular court and in a, a civil case. You brought up a criminal burden of proof and that's the the highest burden of proof there is proof beyond a reasonable doubt um one thing to keep in mind with respect to the restraining order court and the difference between regular civil courts and 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 the criminal court as you just mentioned is that the burden in the restraining order court 
is going to be in between criminal and the regular civil burden preponderance of the evidence that's more than 50 percent just a 51 percent coin flip but in the restraining order context it's going to be clear and convincing evidence and so it sounds like what you may have had uh, the the issue that you may have had in your case was uh, one that uh, most of us have when we are examining our um, uh, the the validity of our request for restraining orders in the conduct at issue. You, you approach it like a criminal case, and you you think, well, whether or not this person committed the conduct, and there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt, therefore I must get a restraining order. But that is not what the, is before the uh, judge or commissioner in the in, in the rest, in the civil harassment restraining order context they have a, a its own designated statute and as i mentioned to you a moment ago it's, it's governed by the code of civil procedure 527.6 and in there there's going to be different elements that the judge is going to be considering um different than 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 the presentation you're likely making which is more likely i'm assuming akin to a presentation in a criminal court something you want to avoid um in terms of suing people, uh, I don't have the expertise in that, but I just, just want to, you know, in, in terms of suing homeowners and the like, uh, that's not my cup of tea, but I'm sure somebody else may be able to help you with that. But stay with us for a moment, if you will. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. In in summary, I think it's only fair to bring up Maria. Your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance are usually covering one of a couple of things. They're either protecting you from actual financial losses and might allow you to make a claim for things that you have suffered that are covered by the terms of this specific policy. Or alternatively, they're there to protect you from liability for those certain arenas that they cover. But I can't imagine a homeowner's policy or a renter's policy unless it explicitly says. So I, I can't imagine one that provides feed money for you to hire an attorney to launch a civil suit as a plaintiff. If you're being sued, they may well have a duty to defend you. But have any of you seen such a renter's policy or anything remotely close where it actually gives you money to sue somebody? Not not only have I not seen that, but also the contrary, which is that if you want to go after your neighbor's insurance policy, typically a neighbor's insurance policy will not defend them for their own intentional acts. So if they're committing a public nuisance intentionally, then their homeowner's insurance likely won't cover that. And you're going to have to look for other forms of um, recovery against that particular neighbor. So if your neighbors are short on money, the bottom line is you're probably chasing after something you'll never collect. 
You know, I, I think, well, we've already realized if we sell our house, we would have to sell at a loss because we would have to disclose, as you mentioned earlier in your program, um, and other neighbors have um, sold at a loss as well. But, you know, really it's gotten to a point of th- there, there's never going to be resolution to the harassment with this particular neighbor. And, you know, what can be done, um, you know, we have the RO for protection, but that doesn't provide protection to the extent that the harassment has stopped. So my question about the homeowner's policies is can one go after the other because of that? And it sounds like for their their behavior you're saying no, but perhaps if we sell at a loss um, because of this harassment, I don't know if there's any language in there where we can actually try to recover it through our homeowner's policy. I would be skeptical, but I would suggest if in doubt... You can always call the Lawyer Referral Service at the Bar Association of San Francisco. We just gave out the number again. They cover San Francisco and Marin counties. I would be highly skeptical, but you may be able to find from talking to a lawyer there they have other solutions for you. Thank I wish you so you, much. I appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. And Thank let you. me turn it to Aziz from San Francisco. Hello. Hi, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, good, good evening. Thank you for this program. It's really helpful. Uh, uh, my story is that I got a coffee shop with my partner uh, on 2001, you know, this 22 years ago. And then I got burned out with him, you know. And then in December, this December, I left the coffee shop and then he got it. He, he He's the one in charge of it. And we signed papers that he got it and everything. And then... When we started the coffee shop, I paid $3,000 deposit, me and him, for the rent, you know, like a deposit. So I don't know who to go after him or the landlord to get my my, my 1500 plus the interest on 22 years. And then when I emailed her, she said, no, I cannot give you that money because I did the remodeling at the coffee shop for you guys. And I don't know what to do. Well, I think you're a little off topic of what we're talking about tonight when we're really focusing on how to deal with neighbors and get some oh, relief that okay. way. Oh, I but got it. But it, it seems to me I got it. that if, the, if your former partner is taking over the business, that it's really something between the two of you rather than with the landlord unless the landlord is, you know, is basically cashing you out and starting over. But you might call. Uh, being in San Francisco, and I've been giving this number out a lot tonight, but the Bar Association of San Francisco has a lawyer referral and information service. They may be able to give you some guidance. Oh, yeah, the the Bar Association at 415-989-1616. You're doing better than I was with the advertising. That's that's perfect. Thank you. Have a great evening. Sorry about that. No, not at all. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. You're You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM. I'm Jeff Hayden. Tonight we're discussing about that troublesome neighbor, the tools you can use to restore calm in your neighborhood, and when you want to use them, when you want to try to avoid them. If you need help or you're just interested, perhaps looking out for somebody. My guest tonight, Nabil Ahmed, 
Emily Andrews, Lance Baer. My guests are all here to help. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. Again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us at 866-798-8255. Toll free, 866-798-8255. And remember, you can always call regarding any question you had on tonight's topic whether it's restraining orders, the difficult neighbors, or when to call the police, you're not limited to the point we may be in our conversation. Before we broke, we were talking a little bit about mediation and a little bit about restraining orders, and Maria brought up a good point when she was talking about how they affect not only the community, but about disclosure and what they do to home values. Is that typically something that befalls people who are dealing with restraining orders and difficult neighbors? Emily, you're <laughs> nodding your head. <laughs> Go ahead, Neville. Um, with respect to what the last caller said, no, she, she it looked like she was seeking a windfall in the uh, in, in the wrong in the wrong forum. She wasn't going to get anywhere in that regard. Uh, complaining about a problematic neighbor and thinking that it was going to decrease her property value. And therefore she can sue somebody and recoup that lost value. It's way too speculative to begin with uh, any of those claims. Well, I, I realize that. I mean, my question was more, is that commonplace? Obviously I don't think she's going to be able to recoup it from any kind of insurance policy, maybe not from the neighbor themselves. My question was more geared towards whether it's commonplace that somebody suffers that kind of a loss because of the nuisance neighbor. It's it's it's. I've seen it in. Uh, I, it, I the answer is no. More likely than not, no. You never. You're not going to get a, a decrease in property value unless you have, um, the you know a notoriously horrific neighbor. Uh, probably with with financial means. Uh, more often than not, you know, I've seen people next to squatters. Uh, with restraining orders, and that doesn't decrease the property value. The property values remain what they are, even with the most uh, troublesome of neighbors who aren't even paying mortgage and living there lawfully. So um, in terms of decrease in property value, no. If you have to report it when you're selling the home, no. I don't, I don't see how or why. That that that's relevant you know, in terms of predicting the criminal conduct of others. No, I don't think that you're required to do that in terms of in the, in in the contract form when purchasing or selling a home. No, so and in terms of the types of issues that you're going to have um, in a in a neighbor dispute with respect to the restraining orders, the ones where I see the most. The most litigation where there will be issues is the overhanging trees. If you have fancy trees, you live in a nice neighborhood, your trees are probably $200,000 a piece and your neighbor, you know, it happens to overhang uh, your neighbor's property line and your neighbor has um, uh, their own aesthetic in their own backyard. They want to chop your trees and, and, and there you may have issues with respect to disclosure requirements and when you're selling your home because, um, any any litigation regarding the trees and, and and how they are maintained could affect the property value, I presume. So um, only when you get to, to I think landmarks where where these 
restraining, excuse me, um, only when you get restraining orders that, that will uh, determine boundary disputes, like uh, also uh, the operation and maintenance of a fence. So um, you'll have uh, the court dictate, you know, you have to stay away uh, a certain, certain amount of, I'll, I'll withdraw this. I, I, I got let, me, let me punt it over to Emily and see if you agree. Do you think that if you have a troublesome neighbor enough that you're getting a restraining order unnecessarily and you're invoking the court going that far, where does the line get crossed that you have to disclose it? So I've had in the HOA context, we get uh, requests from escrow companies all the time when there's a sale of a condo. Uh, to give a status of litigation for any open litigation against the association because any open litigation affects every single person in the community. So anything as big as a, a neighbor nuisance to a leak to a small claims case, we have to give um, the case number, the status of the case, and what we think the likely outcome is as the attorneys for this association. So that is required uh, as part of the disclosures. As far as um, home values, I, I don't. I can only say just from an experience I had defending uh, a client against a neighbor who accused them of being a nuisance uh, and filed a civil restraining order, and then criminal charges were filed for violations of that restraining order. Client was prosecuted. I defended him, and the litigants or the victim in this case, criminal case, claimed that they were unable to sell their house. Uh, for the value that they wanted because of my client, because of this whole civil case and criminal case involving my client. Now, that might just be anecdotal, um, but uh, ultimately, they did sell. My client has a new neighbor, and they get along fine. So it all ended well. Um, I should advise anybody reaching this issue, definitely get legal advice. I've already heard from listeners that are talking about the absolute need to disclose and the concern that the number of offers may well be diminished based on those disclosures. Strong advice when you're talking about your own individual case, your own individual situation, get legal advice. Spend the $30, $40, $50 you need for a half hour. Bring whatever papers, whatever information you have with you. Get advice on your individual case because the net, the, these answer may change from case to case. We want to make sure you get it right and that you're protected and not facing any civil liability yourself. Let me turn it over to Robert from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi. Um, I, I've had a problem with noise from a restaurant next door for many years. And uh, I, I used to um, file complaints, but um, they, they really went nowhere. They they you know they made some kind of minor um, modifications and it really didn't solve the problem and uh you know these are um i've i've got one store downstairs you know that has um no ventilation and you know has noisy compressors and fans all night under my apartment and next door is a huge restaurant with big blower fans you know, right outside my window that they run all night long. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've never seen anyone write a ticket to anyone for a noise ordinance violation in this town. 
you know. And, uh, you know, I, I just wondered what, what kind of recourse I might have if I ever had the means to pursue it. Jeff, I'd like, I'd like to, to clear up my last answer, even though it's, un, it's unrelated to what this guy has to say at the moment, uh, because it, his, his complaint doesn't sound like a, uh, like a civil harassment restraining order type issue. It sounds well, like- actually, give, we can circle back to, to the last issue from Aziz, but I want to give uh, Lance Bayer a chance to argue, a chance to respond to this caller, because it sounds like we're there. One of the problems with um, living in a commercial neighborhood is that there's invariably going to be some kind of conflict, because businesses conducting their everyday business are going to have more noise issues um, and uh, smoke and odors that you might not have with a residential uh, neighbor. The problem there is if you move to a place where the businesses are established, the courts are less likely to say that the established businesses have to modify or shut down in order to accommodate someone who comes to that nuisance. So you, you have to be really careful about what the nature of this um, nuisance is um, and whether it occurred after or before you got there. Well, I was here before. (laughs) That should make a difference. And sometimes cities will get involved in enforcing the ordinance codes. Sometimes cities don't have a robust noise ordinance, for example, and there's not much they can do. And sometimes um, cities will simply defer to neighbors to um, address their own issues privately. Um, is, is there any legal recourse um, if the city doesn't enforce the, the ordinance? Well, typically you can't force the city to take action, but you can take action against those neighbors yourself. Basically, I'd have to sue. <laughs> I, I guess is what you're saying. Does it matter? Does it ma- do, I haven't asked the question yet. I was going to ask my guests on your behalf. Does it matter if Robert is living in a, a place that's zoned strictly residential or zoned for mixed use? Or it's perhaps C2. it is. Mine is C2. Does that make a difference? Mixed residential commercial yeah we would believe so and you know again it's from the case that i I believe we discussed the last time but yes uh you know as lance said uh, living in in urban environments you do have to accept certain types of uh noises and, and inconveniences uh so whether or not the noise from the fan or whatever um with respect to the business establishment next to um robert's residence whether or not that's even out of code compliance is is even a question here. Uh, so I, I'm not. I haven't even heard whether or not uh, Robert's disputes or complaints with the business is even legitimate at the moment. It doesn't sound like there's been any type of investigation or uh, further type of complaint to a, a regulatory agency that that has indicated that there's any type of non-compliance to even justify any type of civil action so well there are compliance issues 
I mean, I can. Robert, one of the you, you do have options, and an attorney you talk to can send somebody out to investigate and get a preliminary report of what they're finding in the area and what's reasonable within the area. But as I said earlier, remember, when you're in the land of nuisance, Mm -hmm. you're talking about a balance of interests. You're talking about the business and their legitimate right to do the things they have to do as opposed to the residents and their right to the peaceful enjoyment of the premises. And the real issue is going to be a balance of the two on what's fair and reasonable under the circumstances. And having somebody in a business move in next door and upset a whole bunch of the neighborhood is very different than having somebody not liking the idea that something has changed. But ultimately, uh, they're being overly sensitive. And I'm not saying you are. What I am saying is that is the continuum between the two extremes and at some point it's really a question of balancing the two interests and what's reasonable under the circumstances okay and I hate to keep harping on this same thing but you might contact an attorney with the specifics and again what kind of attorney would I ask for well (laughs) do you really want a civil attorney that's versed in nuisance probably with some background in real estate they could probably hook you up well with the Bar Association of San Francisco Lawyer Referral Service. And the idea when you're calling a lawyer referral service isn't necessarily that you're going to get somebody free or low budget if you're hiring somebody. But if you're not really sure where to go, they will give you a, a, a very inexpensive consultation and t- treat it as a test drive. If you like that lawyer and what they're saying to you, you got off to a jump start for a very small amount, and you can always move on from there. Go in with the idea of learning something. Maybe if even if you don't like the attorney, you'll learn a bit about the type of attorney you want. The issues get a little clearer in your mind, and it gives you a better perspective to move forward and find the right person to help you. Whatever it is, I wish you the best of luck, and thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Thank you. I do want to save a little bit of time for each of you for any final comments or remarks, but I did want to ask about one thing before we get there. I was listening, uh, really going back to Maria and her troubles with the one neighbor. And that makes me wonder if when it makes sense or when it doesn't make sense to get a restraining order, against somebody who is mentally ill and may not have the best mental resources to really abide by the order. Is that a lost cause or does that actually have the potential to make things worse? There's always the possibility that an order from the court might make something worse. But in my experience even when other uh, methods have tried and failed, um, having a judge make an order, the authority of the court is still respected by a lot of people, even people who have other mental health concerns or issues. And having that order from a judge for a certain part of the population, 
is all it takes to keep them from offending in the way that the order prevents. And of course, one thing that that order does, it gives the police the ability to get involved in ways that they otherwise couldn't because this person is violating a valid court order. That's correct. We're nearing the end of the hour, and I wanted to give each of you up to a couple minutes for any last comments that you had. Um, who would like to jump in first? Emily, ladies first? Okay. I don't know if we're supposed to say that anymore. Oh, that's but okay. I, but, but you're new to the show, so I'll let you go first. You're a gentleman. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so n- nothing um, shocking, just that the more that people can do to stay out of court, sorry, lawyers, um, the better for everyone, I think. Um, just just generally. I mean, we were talking about the mental health issues and restraining orders. The trick there is, I mean, these are people's children uh, that are struggling and might have nowhere else to go. And these families are doing what they can to support these folks with their struggles. So to restrain them and, and you know, not allow them to come home is, is, is difficult on that family. And just keep that in mind when you're using a harsh um, vehicle or, or tool like a restraining order. And Nabil Ahmed, would you like to take a couple minutes? I don't know if I have a couple minutes in me, Jeff, but... Uh, you did I, want to circle back to one earlier I, question. I didn't give you the chance to do it. Maybe you want to take that, too. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to start with Robert. I think he said, what kind of lawyer do you, does, does he need the last caller? So, and I'm not sure if he needs... You know, it sounded like a landlord-tenant issue. Maybe. Are they in the same building? Uh, you know, because if he's in the same building, then it's a quiet use and enjoyment issue that he takes up with his landlord, so... That may be something to look into. And then with respect to the restraining order and, and do you have to list it uh, in, a, in the sale of a home and, and how can that be? And I was trying to figure out how a situation under the law. I still do think, yes, it's with respect to the maintenance of a landscape uh, at, at or near a property line that may may bring up a, a necessity to to include that within uh, a sales disclosure for, for the purchase or sale of a home. So just to tie up that loose end, because uh, I know I didn't finish that thought very well, but uh, it, if, whether I'm right or wrong on that, I, you know, we'll find out. Call call somebody, a lawyer for all, and find out. I'm going to jump in for a second before I turn it over to Lance, and I just want to make clear, when we were talking about your duty to disclose, if you have a personal gripe with somebody, and it's strictly between you two, may not rise to the same level. But if you really have a troublesome neighbor, you had best disclose it. It may cost you a couple of offers, but if it's a troublesome neighbor that's a nuisance in the area and you don't disclose it and somebody buys that property, you may be setting yourself up for a lawsuit. And that's why I say have somebody talk to you and sort it out with you and make sure that you're on solid ground whether you need to disclose it or not. I hate to see somebody make that mistake and buy a lawsuit. But let me turn it over to Lance Bayer for any final thoughts. Well, let's take a look at some things that we hope that the listeners will take away from tonight's program. Um, One is that if you're in a dispute with a neighbor, it's really important to know your rights. Um, There are publications, as we mentioned. There are also um, attorney um, uh, meetings that you can have, um, a short consultation. But it's really important to know what your rights are and 
what what the boundaries are of what you can realistically expect the law to do for you. The second is to have a plan. Once you know what you can and cannot do through legal means, whether it's through um, a lawsuit or whether it's through calling the police or calling code enforcement, um, once you know what what the boundaries are, have a plan. Um, have a strategy that will get you to where you need to go to be able to deal with that nuisance activity. Number three is to be patient. Um, these problems generally take a long time uh, to build and they take a long time to resolve. Um, you can't really expect that something is going to be done that is going to make the problem go away overnight, although sometimes it does happen. And finally is to use the resources that are available in the community, whether it's mediation, whether it is talking to um, friends that you have in common, um, whether it's your homeowners association, um, but to be aware of the resources that are out there in the community that can assist you to be able to bring this dispute into some kind of resolution. And that'll be the last word on the subject. I want to thank each of my guests. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. Tonight we've been discussing some tools for dealing with difficult neighbors. Our guests tonight have been Municipal Law Attorney Lance Baer, Criminal Defense Attorney Nabil Ahmed, who represents clients seeking to obtain or resist restraining orders, And on that same note, Redwood City Attorney Emily Andrews, the nicest lawyer you hope you'll never need. Next week on Your Legal Rights, we return to look at labor and employment, but with an interesting twist as we take on AI in the workplace. A big thanks to tonight's guests, Lance Bayer, Emily Andrews, and Nabil Ahmed. Thank you for joining us. Tonight's tonight's show has been produced by yours truly and a big thanks to all of you for listening and at the controls joanne marr i'm jeff hayden thank you be safe have a good night and zealously guard your legal rights Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.